morning. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. He will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that um, the stories we tell shape the lives we live? And that the more significant the story, the more powerfully it shapes how we live? So, for example, one of the most uh, dominant stories about the founding of America is what's often called the Mayflower story. In 1620, the Mayflower landed at Plymouth Rock with pilgrims who were fleeing religious persecution and seeking religious freedom in the New World. And that was the beginning of America, a country that's founded on the ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all people. Now, over the years, many people have challenged this narrative. One of the most recent examples is a series of essays in the New York Times recently called the 1619 Project. It's, it's, it's a, a new origin story of the founding of America, and its goal is, uh, quote, it aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. Now, those are two very different ways of telling the story of the founding of America, and it stirred up a lot of controversy. 
My goal this morning is not to stir up more controversy, but the controversy highlights what's at stake. What's at stake is this. The stories we tell shape the lives we live. The stories we tell shape the way we see ourselves, our identity, the way we see our society and what it means to be a part of society. And especially this controversy between these stories highlights the reality that if anything threatens the story we tell, then it actually threatens our very sense of self. And very often we will react with fear or anger or hostility because our very sense of self is at stake. So here's the big question I want to think about this morning. How does the story we tell about Jesus shape the way we live? For many of us, Jesus shapes everything about how we live, or at least we aspire to that. For others of you, maybe you're exploring faith, or maybe you're skeptical about Jesus. But for you, Jesus shapes very little about the way you live. But I want to suggest that that's still because of the story you tell about Jesus. If Jesus is just a man, a great man, but a man nonetheless, then you might admire and respect him, but he's not really going to change the way you live, but that's still a story that you tell about Jesus. But for all of us, what if the more truly we understand Jesus, the more radically it transforms our lives? What if the more clearly we see who Jesus is, the more truly we understand who he was and what he's all about, the more that happens. What if the more that actually transforms our lives? This morning we're finishing a series on the parables of Jesus. In the parables, Jesus gives us pictures of God and his world so that we can walk around in that world and get a clear picture of reality. In this parable we just, just read, Jesus also gives us a picture of himself. It's the only parable in which Jesus actually does that. It's basically his way of saying, do you want to understand me? Do you want to know more about who I am, who I really am? Hear this parable. So as we walk through this parable, Jesus shows us three things. He shows us a universal story, an ongoing rebellion, and a mysterious stone. Okay? There's a universal story, an ongoing rebellion, and a mysterious stone. Okay? So first of all, Jesus shows us a universal story here. Now, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's getting towards the end of the Gospel. And at this point, for th the last three years, Jesus has been healing people miraculously. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And for the last three years, Jesus has also been challenging the religious leaders. But here, at the climax of his ministry, Jesus is engaging in a direct confrontation with them. And one of the main ways he does that is through this parable. In this parable, Jesus is retelling the story of Israel, but he's doing it in a way that subverts and threatens uh, the way they typically understood their own story. It's kind of like if you've grown up all your life hearing a certain story about your family, so you just assume, oh, this is the story of my family. But then maybe a distant relative shows up with startling information that paints a completely different picture of everything you thought you knew about your family. Has, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. That's kind of like what Jesus is doing in this parable. He begins like this. He says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Now this is an almost verbatim quote from Isaiah 
chapter 5, which is one of the most famous passages in Scripture in which God compares Israel to a vineyard. And in Isaiah 5, it says that God planted the vineyard, that He dug a wine press, and that He built a watchtower. Everybody in Jesus' audience would have known, oh, it's obvious. This is Isaiah 5. This is the story of Israel. This is our story. So, if we don't understand this story, then we will not understand what Jesus is saying here, and we will ultimately never understand who Jesus is and what He's about. Because the story of Israel is not just the story of one tiny little nation in a wide, wide world. The story of Israel is the story of God's universal purposes in the whole world. And if you come here uh, frequently to Central West End Church, then propitiously you already have a head start on this because we talk about this all the time. But whenever we talk about God's universal purposes in the whole world, that's another way of talking about the main storyline of the whole Bible. What is that storyline? Well, let's do a summary. Genesis 1-2, the first chapters in the Bible, God creates this world to be a place of peace, wholeness, beauty, and perfection, and He puts the first human beings in the world um, with the responsibility to to be caretakers in this world on behalf of God. Um, But then, in Genesis chapter 3, evil enters the world, and because of human rebellion against God, now this world is a place where everything is falling apart. Have you ever um, wondered why it is we experience this world as a place where everything is falling apart? Why is there anxiety, depression, loneliness, addiction, and suicide? Why is there climate change and, uh, and war? Why is there poverty and uh, cancer and racism? And especially, why is it that we human beings feel so strongly that none of that is the way it's supposed to be? Why? Well, it's because everything is falling apart. But think about it. I mean, if this world is all there is, then by definition, this world is already exactly the way it's supposed to be. And yet we know it's not. Everything is falling apart. Why? Because evil entered the world and humans rebelled against God. So, from Genesis 4, the rest of the biblical story forward is the story of God's mission to rescue the world from evil and to renew the world back to the place of peace, wholeness, beauty, and perfection that He created it to be. Now, hang with me for just a little bit more, okay? Um, One of the major turning points in the whole storyline of the Bible is Genesis 12. Trying to understand the biblical storyline without Genesis 12 is like trying to understand the founding of America without the Mayflower or slavery. You're missing a huge chunk if you try to do that. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. And we might say, well, yippee for Israel, but big deal. What does that mean for us? But here's the thing. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you, Abraham, will be a blessing. And in you and in Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why does Israel exist? Like, what's their purpose statement? The reason Israel exists is to bring God's blessings of rescue from evil and renewal to the whole world, to all the nations of the world. Friends, this is the kingdom of God. 
I told you we'd talk about what that means. The kingdom of God is the story of God's multi-ethnic, multicultural mission to bring rescue from evil and renewal to the whole world. It's for all the nations of the world. So at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 7, it says that this vision is for every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. It's a universal vision for the whole world. The story of the kingdom is the story of God's mission, His multicultural, multi-ethnic mission to bring rescue and renewal to the whole world. Have you ever noticed how much emphasis in our culture we put on things like inclusion, diversity, multiculturalism, and universal love? Do you, do you realize where that story comes from, where that vision comes from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from the story of Israel. That's what the story is about. So, for instance, Esau Macaulay is a wonderful African-American theologian Uh, He wrote a book a couple of years ago called Reading While Black. It's about biblical interpretation. In that book, he says this, that God's vision for his people, that's Israel, uh, actually the whole people of the world, his vision for his people was never limited to one ethnic group, culture, or nation. His plan was to bless the world through Abraham's descendants. Therefore, from the beginning, God's vision includes black and brown people, God promised to make Abraham the father of many nations, which includes the varied ethnic groups of the world. The story of the Bible is the story of God's mission. God's mission is a multi-ethnic, multicultural vision of rescue and renewal for the whole world. So when Jesus talks about a vineyard, that's another way of talking about Israel. But whenever the Bible talks about Israel, it's never just talking about the nation. It's always talking about the mission, so that when you see Israel, don't think nation, think mission. In other words, the vineyard equals Israel, but Israel equals the mission of God. The story of the vineyard is the story of God's mission, His universal, multi-ethnic, multicultural mission to bring rescue and renewal to the whole world. If we don't understand that, then we will not understand Jesus. And that leads to our next point. Jesus has shown us a universal story, but next he shows us an ongoing rebellion. So here's this landowner. He plants the vineyard, but then what happens next? It says that he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruits. Now here Jesus is reminding Israel of the reason that they exist. It's God's multicultural, multi-ethnic vision to bring rescue and renewal to the whole world. That's the fruit that God is looking for. But there's a problem. All the way back in Isaiah chapter 5, which is where this parable comes from, it says that he, God, looked for a crop of good grapes from Israel, but it yielded only bad fruit only bad fruit. The problem is that God called Israel to to be His representatives of His mission to bring rescue and renewal to the whole world. The problem is that Israel was failing its mission. And here we are hundreds of years later, and Jesus is saying, nothing has changed. So notice how Jesus continues with the parable. He says, the tenants seized His servants They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Now here Jesus is reminding them that over and over and over again, God kept sending prophets, messengers to Israel 
to remind them of the story, to remind them of the mission, but Israel kept rejecting and killing the prophets. And so, how does the story end? What does Jesus say? Well, what does the landowner do? It says that um, the landowner took, um, sent his son so that when this, they see the son, they decide to kill the son because they want the vineyard for themselves. In other words, uh, Jesus is telling the story of Israel here. It's a story of rebellion against God. Because when the, um, when the tenant farmers see the son, they say, come, let's kill him and take the vineyard for himself. Why, um, why is everybody rebelling against God in this parable? In this parable, they're rebelling against God. Why? I mean, think about it. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical narrative, remember what happened. God put human beings in the world to be caretakers of this world. What's a caretaker? Caretaker takes care of something that belongs to somebody else, and they do it on behalf of that person. Our role in this world, our responsibility in this world, is to be caretakers of God's world. But here's the point. It's God's world, not ours. But in this parable, the tenants, when they see the son, they say, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And what? Take his inheritance. You see what's happening here? The tenants want to take control of the vineyard for themselves. Friends, Jesus is confronting Israel, and especially he's confronting the religious leaders. Why? Because they've taken God's universal vision for the whole world and shrunk it down to a very narrow, political, nationalistic vision for Israel only. In other words, they've taken a God-based vision and shrunk it down to a human-based vision. And it doesn't mean they don't believe in God. They still believe in God, but now they, they've shrunk this vision down so that it's a human-based story pursuing human goals and human power. And when we put it like that, you realize all of a sudden, this is not just a picture of Israel, is it? This is all of us. This is a picture of humanity. I mean, think about it. Um, our modern world, we have this vision of progress in our world too, don't we? We say, we need to make this world a better place for all people. And as we just saw, this story comes from the Bible. That's where the vision comes from. It comes from the Bible because up until the Bible, all of the ancient world saw the history of the world as a never-ending hamster wheel of birth, suffering, and death. In um, Eastern traditions, they call this the karmic cycle. In the West, uh, Greek philosophers called it fate with a capital F, but it's the same idea. History is a never-ending wheel of birth, suffering, and death. Wash, rinse, repeat. There is no changing the wheel. There's no such thing as progress in that vision. There's no changing the wheel. The best you can hope is to escape the wheel. But along comes the Bible, and for the first time in the world, the Bible says, no, history is not a wheel that's going around and around. It's a story that's going somewhere. Our modern vision of progress comes from the biblical story. The problem is that the essence of human rebellion is that we've taken God's vision of progress for the world, and we are now pursuing that vision in our own power, in our own strength, without God. In other words, our modern secular vision and story of progress is, is based on, it comes from the biblical story, but it's a substitute story. It's a substitute story. There is a, um, a famous Australian pastor and writer, wonderful writer named Mark Sayers. He puts it like this. He says that in, in our modern world, we're seeking the kingdom without the king. 
We're seeking the kingdom, but without the king, we want the progress. We just don't want God to be a part of it. And again, that doesn't mean, even in our modern world, that we don't believe in God, but in our modern culture, God has become a consumeristic tool that we use as part of our project to pursue our vision for our lives in the world, not God's vision for our lives in the world. But the thing is, and here's the the ultimate tragedy, I mean, this is a substitute story. It's a human-based story pursuing human goals and human power, but the tragedy is that human-based stories can never get us where we really want to go. Those stories are always breaking down on us. So, for instance, Flannery O'Connor was one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. Uh, Her most famous novel and her masterpiece was a book called Wise Blood. This is a cover of the first edition from the UK, I think. Uh, It's about a guy named Hazel Motes. Here's Hazel. Hazel Motes has devoted his life to constructing a new religion, but a religion without Jesus, without sin and redemption, and especially without a pesky God always intervening in human affairs. The the vision of his religion is that human beings can make this world the place we long for it to be without God. He calls it the church of Christ without Christ, and he preaches all his sermons while standing on top of a a beat-up old car. They actually have a picture of the car here. He stands on top of a beat-up old car and preaches his sermons. It's actually a real old junker that he's always having to fix up. Um, constantly having to fix it up in order just to keep the thing running. One day, the car breaks down on the side of the road, and a one-armed man comes to fix the car. Flannery O'Connor's stories are always full of these weird, strange characters. A one-armed man comes to fix the car, and while he's working on the car, Hazel is just standing there beaming with pride over this junker, and he says, it's a good car, ain't it? And the one-armed man doesn't say anything, which really ticks Hazel off. So he starts, you know, protesting. He says, this is a good car. Listen here. This car, you just give me a push. That's all it needs. This car will get me anywhere I want to go. And the one-armed man just says, some things will get some folks somewheres. (laughs) The car is a picture of our human secular story. Flannery O'Connor brilliantly is saying that human-based stories pursuing human goals and human power are like a car that will get us somewhere, but they will never get us where we really want to go. They will always break down on us. Friends, the mission of God is His universal vision, a multi-ethnic, multicultural vision to bring rescue from evil and renewal to the whole world. He called Israel to be a part of that mission But instead of becoming a part of that mission, Israel was rejecting God, rejecting the prophets that He sent them because they wanted control of the vineyard. We all do. The story of the Bible is not only the story of God's mission of rescue and renewal in this world. It's the story of our ongoing rebellion against God, and that leads to our last point. Jesus has shown us this universal story. Second, He's shown us an ongoing rebellion. But lastly, Jesus shows us a mysterious stone. Because at this point in the parable, remember, the landowner has been sending tenants, I mean servants, to reach out to the tenant farmers, and the tenant farmers keep rejecting and killing the tenants. So what does the landowner do next? says that he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And as we saw just a bit ago, they end up killing the son and throwing him out of the vineyard. So 
at the very end of the parable, Jesus says, what do you think the, the owner of the vineyard is going to do at this point? And everybody in his audience knows what's going to happen. They say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Remember, God's vision is a, is a mission of rescue from evil and renewal of the world. That means that one day God is promising that he's going to put evil down. He's going to bring evil to an end. The big problem in the Bible is how is God supposed to put an end to evil without putting an end to us? The answer is in verse 42. Jesus says, you want to know what the big message of this parable is? What's the big takeaway? Well, he tells them in verse 42. He says, haven't you ever read the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Simple message, huh? It's mysterious. What does this mean? Jesus is saying this is the key to the whole thing. What does it mean? Well, this is a quote from Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, it talks about Israel, but it calls Israel a stone. In Psalm 118, Israel is the stone, and it's saying that Israel is the stone, that Israel had a mission to the world, and then it says that Israel would be rejected by the world, and then it says that Israel would be exalted as cornerstone over all the world. Jesus is taking this psalm and applying it to himself and saying, yes, Israel is the stone. Yes, Israel has a mission to the world. Yes, Israel will be rejected by the world. And yes, one day Israel will be exalted over all of the world. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying, in this parable, you know who the son is? The son is the stone. And in the original language, the words for son and stone were almost identical. Everybody would have got the, the wordplay there. Jesus is saying the son is the stone. And I am the stone because I am Israel rejected by the world, but exalted by God to be cornerstone over all the world. A cornerstone is the stone of a building around which everything else revolves. A cornerstone is the foundation stone, the crowning stone. It's the centerpiece of the whole building. Everything revolves around the cornerstone. Jesus is saying, I am the stone because I am Israel, rejected by the world, but exalted as the cornerstone. Friends, God called Israel to be the representatives of his mission to bring rescue and renewal to the whole world. The problem is Israel was incapable of being everything that God called them to be and doing everything that God called them to do. So God sent Jesus to be the true Israel that Israel could never be and to do everything that Israel could never do. It's kind of like, and this is a, a poor analogy, but it's kind of like this. Why do actors in movies never do their own stunts? Unless you're Tom Cruise. The reason is because they would die. They're, they're wonderful actors, but they're horrible stunt persons. The reason actors never do their own stunts is because they would kill themselves if they tried. In other words, they need a stunt double to stand in their place and do for them what they could never do for themselves. Friends, don't you see? Jesus is our stunt double. The big difference is that he is not just another human being with special training. Jesus is not just a glorified Tom Cruise. Jesus is the one and only Son of God, the creator of the universe, who came to earth 
um, in order to take our place, stand in our place, and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the ultimate place where Jesus took our place was on the cross, because when Jesus told this parable, it says all the religious leaders knew that he was telling it against them. In effect, Jesus was signing his own death warrant, but that was the point. Because the place where we see Jesus and God most clearly destroying and conquering evil is on the cross. Jesus was crushed for our rebellion by God, for for our rebellion against God. He took the judgment so that we could get the, the love that Jesus deserves as the one and only Son of God. And you want to see God's renewal of the world? The ultimate place we see that is when Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose physically from the dead, that was the moment when he was exalted as cornerstone over all the world. Now listen, what does all of this mean for you and me today? Let me offer you just a a couple of thoughts for application. And the first one is this. Um, Jesus is inviting everybody into his mission to be part of the new Israel with him. Remember God's mission. It's a multi-ethnic, multicultural mission of rescue and renewal. And Jesus is the true Israel, but Jesus is now inviting everybody in the world to join him to be part of the new Israel that Jesus is is forming. This is an invitation to everybody in the world. And one of the places we see this very clearly is in verse 43. Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Now, When he says the kingdom will be taken from you, he's talking specifically to the religious leaders. Many people over the years have thought that Jesus is rejecting the the nation of Israel and replacing Israel with the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not replacing Israel. Jesus is reconstituting Israel. And you see that very clearly in this word people. Literally, that's a word that means nation, singular, not nations, plural. What Jesus is saying is that that God is forming a new nation, one new nation, one new people that's comprised of all the nations of the world. Every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. And he's inviting you into that vision. This is for everybody in the world. It's a multi-ethnic, multicultural mission of rescue and renewal for the whole world. And so if you're a part of this world, guess what? Jesus is inviting you to be a part of this mission. And by the way, if you're someone who, maybe you're somewhere in the spectrum of what many people today call deconstruction, I want to encourage you. Listen, there are many reasons why you struggle with Christianity, chief of which um, is the church in many cases. But Jesus is encouraging you here that you don't have to replace faith in Jesus with something else. Remember, he's not replacing Israel, he's reconstituting Israel. You don't have to replace faith in Jesus with something else. In fact, Jesus is encouraging you that if you replace faith in Jesus with something else, that's like a a car. It'll get you somewhere, but it won't get you where you really want to go. You don't have to replace faith in Jesus with something else. Jesus is not replacing Israel. He's reconstituting Israel. You don't have to replace faith in Jesus. You can reconstitute your faith by seeing Jesus more clearly and joining him in his mission to the world. The second application is this. At the very end, Jesus says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, on the one hand, This is a clear warning that if you make anything other than Jesus the cornerstone 
of your life, then, and I don't know how else to put this except to use the language Jesus uses, if you do that, then you will be broken to pieces. You will be shattered and crushed. Why? Because every cornerstone that's not Jesus is crushable. Every cornerstone other than Jesus is crushable. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's your achievements, your looks, your relationships, your family, your politics, your conservatism, your wokeism, your virtuous good deeds, your social causes, uh, whether it's your pursuit of pleasure and comfort or your sexual identity, racial identity, gender identity, whatever it might be, at the end of the day, every single one of those things is crushable. And if you build your life, your sense of self, and your identity on any one of those things, when those things are crushed, you will be crushed. Jesus is saying that He crushes every false cornerstone so that instead of crushing you, He can build your life on Him, the true cornerstone. Jesus is a radical threat to every false cornerstone. And you see that in this passage. I mean, why are the religious leaders so threatened by Jesus in this story? Because this story is threatening the story they tell. It's threatening the story, their narrative about themselves, that their cornerstone, their whole sense of identity is based on their religious performance. And Jesus is saying, if that's you, you're going to be crushed. It's a warning, but here's the hope. Jesus crushes every false cornerstone so that instead of crushing you, He can build your life on Him, the true cornerstone. Now understand, that is going to feel like your very self is being crushed. It's going to hurt, it's, it's a, but it's a good crushing because what's really being crushed is your false self. Your, your false self is what Jesus is crushing so that He can build your true self on Him the true cornerstone. Friends, let Jesus crush your false cornerstones so that He can build your life on Him, the true cornerstone, so that He can invite you into His mission, His multi-ethnic, multicultural mission of rescue from evil and renewal, not just for your lives, but for the whole world. Let's pray. Abba, we thank You this morning for Your vision. Lord, we take it for granted that this is just the way the world ought to be, we take it for granted that, of course, we should be working to see the world made into a better place for all people. But, Father, we confess to you that, that we have taken your vision but forgotten you. Help us this morning to see your face, your person, your love at the heart of this vision. Help us to see Jesus as the one who brings this vision to fulfillment because he is the true Israel who was crushed on the cross for us so that we can be made new in Him. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that You would help us to let You crush all of our false cornerstones so that our lives can be made new in You, the true cornerstone, and so that we could join You as part of Your new Israel, a reconstituted Israel, pursuing Your vision of rescue and renewal for the whole world. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.